You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. As we continue this morning in the book of Daniel, uh, what I want you to know is that we are right on course with Pastor Scott's original outline. Um, He did not plan uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 as multiple weeks. I mean, it's like a year-long series if we were going to break it down. So if you came this morning, maybe you haven't been through any of Daniel, but you came because you're waiting for charts and timelines, and you're waiting for us to name names, and we're waiting to tell the, you know, the date that Jesus is coming back, and who's the Antichrist? That's not this series, okay? Um, it's amazing, man. If you've been around church or involved in, in the Christian faith at all, through the years, people have named names, uh, going back to like Henry Kissinger and people, it's like, hey, he's the Antichrist. And, and uh, they've, they've, people have labeled dates, times as recent as like 2011, I think. Someone was like predicting, well, here's how all the weeks line up. And, here's, and, and so it's going to be here. And look, here's the honest truth. We don't know. Okay? So let's just all agree right now. We don't know. Um, so what are we supposed to do with what we have? Um, If you've been with us so far through the book of Daniel, we've completed the first six chapters. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel are written in sort of a third-person narrative style by Daniel. We get to chapter 7, 7 through 12 is really written in more of a first-person, but it's an apocalyptic style. And so if you've read Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you probably, like me, turn around and go, huh? Huh? Because there's a, there's a lot of mystery there. There's clear interpretation, and so most historians and scholars agree on certain things that have lined up. And, and so as we break this down this morning, we're going to kind of press in, but, but I want us to focus on something that Pastor Brad said a couple of weeks ago as he preached in Daniel chapter 5. I was sitting right over here and, and listening and being challenged, and one of the things that he had said that morning, he said, The book of Daniel is all about kings and kingdoms. And that's absolutely true. And so in my own little world, as as we all do in church, right? You're in your own little world right now. In my own little world over there two weeks ago, Pastor Brad, as you were preaching, I started singing in my head that great old song by Bill Gaither. Jesus, Jesus, you know it, Jesus. Let all heaven and earth proclaim that kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. That's all I could do as as I press into Daniel. I'm thinking it's all about kingdoms and kingdoms. Last week, we talked about seasons and seasons of life, but these kingdoms and this prophecy is nothing but a season. And when we look back at human history, when we look back at church history, we've lived through seasons. We've lived through kingdoms. And there are kingdoms that we're in right now, and there's kingdoms yet to come, but there's one kingdom that is eternal that will stand above all kingdoms at the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And listen, as a New Testament church, we're all about Jesus, okay? We're all about Jesus. So as we, as we press in, uh, we're going to do our best to look at 7, 8, and 9 this morning. 
Uh, so hopefully you packed a, a lunch. I look at my wife over here. She brought a brown bag lunch. She knew we were going to be here a while. Um, but we're going we're to look at it. We're going to look at it slightly different because we are not breaking out all the, all the charts and the timelines. So I want to look at it. And so as we, we look at Daniel chapter 7 through 12, what we know is that 7 through 12 are all sort of a flashback to something that already happened back somewhere between chapters 1 and 6. Chapter 7 and chapter 8, we know happened before chapter 5 and chapter 6. Uh, chapter 9, he begins by saying, hey, uh, while Darius was king, so we know that probably happened before chapter 6. So everything that's happening, Daniel is looking back at his life. So remember what we talked about last week, Daniel has lived this faithful life every day to the glory of God. And now we realize that while he's done that through the first six chapters, these, these things have happened, these visions, these dreams have happened in Daniel's life already in chapters one through six. So he's already experienced these things while he lived faithfully. So in chapter seven, uh, chapter seven really parallels chapter two. Uh, I thought Pastor Scott would, would do this. He was kind of thinking of lining up two and seven when he preached chapter two several weeks ago because chapter two and chapter seven are the same, but from different perspectives. In chapter two, we, we see Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this, this giant statue broken into four parts. And, and Daniel tells him, he says, hey, that, those, are, those are kingdoms. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He goes out and he builds this giant 90-foot statue. Remember? Well, that was from an earthly kingdom perspective. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's given the same vision, but from a divine perspective. Now he's looking at it from a divine perspective. What's going to happen specifically to the nation of Israel uh, and to the, to the Gentile nation? So here's this separation. So we see two different perspectives on the same kingdoms. And in Daniel chapter 7, we, we see uh, six actual kingdoms that are introduced to Daniel. Where Daniel chapter 2, it was four. In Daniel chapter 7, there's actually six different kingdoms that Daniel is introduced to. Four of those kingdoms are earthly kingdoms. And they're represented, if you read through it, you're going, what is this lion with wings? What is this bear with three ribs in his mouth? What is this winged four-headed leopard? Anybody else wonder? Well, what is this terrible beast? The, the fourth is simply referred to as a terrible beast. These are earthly kingdoms. But Daniel's also introduced to two other kingdoms. One clearly is the, the, the kingdom of Satan himself. The other is the kingdom of Christ. So this is, this is really our setup for the remainder of Daniel, that there's these kingdoms that, that will be unleashed, that God will give certain reign to and certain rights and certain authority to. Daniel chapter 8, he's introduced to a ram and a goat, again, representing powers, kingdoms, and authorities. So as I look at this, my, my head, I begin to go, so how did Daniel respond? How, how would you respond to these revelations, to these visions, to these interpretations? Well, when I look at the text, there's a few things that I see. First and foremost, the thing that I see when I was reading through Daniel 7, 8, 9 specifically, it made him ill. It made him anxious. Look at with me in Daniel chapter 7, 
verse 15, he says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. Have you ever been alarmed? you ever been anxious because you've discovered some truth of God's Word or God revealed something to you through the truth of His Word and the intervention of the Holy Spirit to the point that it just sort of alarmed you? He says in, in chapter 7, verse 28, here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed. That's the exact same phrase he used back in chapter 5, talking about um, Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar, I'm sorry, in, in chapter 5, Belshazzar, as, as he's seeing the handwriting on the wall, his color changed. He became ill. It's the same phrase that Daniel is using of himself. It, it made him ill. Daniel chapter 8, verse 27, it says, and I, Daniel, was overcome, and I lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. Have you ever been so moved by the power and authority of God that it, you, were, you were just anxious, you were um, alarmed, you were ill? Here, here's one thing I, I promise, that every one of these ministry leaders that were standing along the front of the stage a few moments ago had this moment. Oh, God, no, you don't want me to do that. No, God, you don't want me to start a ministry to hurting children. No, God, you certainly don't want me to go to Panama, as Matt was our first worship leader at Southbridge. That's his history. He was our first worship leader, went to Panama, had a passion and a heart. God moved him. I promise you, for days, he lay ill and sick and alarmed and anxious, going, no, certainly, God, you don't want me to do that. Or Rose, who's part of our staff team, who, who came from Uganda, who has a heart and is ministering to children, looking at buying some land to minister to, to orphan children in Uganda. I promise you, every one of us at some point in our life, if we're walking close with Jesus, we have these moments where we feel alarmed, we feel anxious, we, we perhaps feel ill and isolate ourselves for days. So he, he felt ill, anxious, uneasy, but, but he also sought understanding, which I think is what we need to do as we examine God's word and we grow in our relationship. We need to seek understanding. He says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 16, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. He, he was inquisitive. He says, I have, to, I have to know, I have to understand God's Word. We're going to see this later in chapter 9 as he prays because he links a clear understanding of God's Word. Daniel chapter 8, verse 15, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand. Daniel chapter 9 tells us that he prayed. Not only did he feel ill, not only did he seek understanding, but he prayed. We're going to look at that in a few moments, so I'm not going to dive deep, but, but it drove him to prayer. It drove him to intimacy with the Father. But it also says that he went on with his life. If we know these visions happened while Daniel was living through Daniel 1 through 6, he continued to live life. He lived faithfully every day for the glory of God. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Sounds a lot like Mary, doesn't it? In the, in the nativity story, she's like, she treasured all these things in her heart. 
God revealed truth, but she, she treasured these things. She held on to them. And Daniel says, I just kept the matter to my, in my heart. I just sort of treasured it. Chapter 8, verse 27, and I, Daniel, was overcome, lay sick for days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. I, I went up. I just got up. And God said, keep these things in your heart. I got up and I went about the king's business. I'm going to live faithfully for the Lord, knowing what I know. So then I asked the question, what was God's instruction to Daniel? Daniel, I've given you these visions. I've given you this insight. I've given you these interpretations. What do you want me to do with that, Lord? Daniel chapter 8, 26, right before the last verse we read, it says, the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. He says, but seal up the vision. Seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. He, he told Daniel, Daniel, take it, understand it, but, but seal it up. That the word that's used there literally has to do with, with shutting up or closing up or hiding something away uh, to, to keep it secret. In, in other words, he didn't run out and write a book. He didn't produce some video series to distribute to churches for profit. He, he took what he knew and based on the instruction of the Lord, he just sort of tucked it away and he lived faithfully. Verse uh, 27, chapter 8, and I, Daniel, was overcome and I lay sick for some days. Then I rose and I went about the king's business. You see, God instructs him to know the truth, just like he does with us, to treasure them, to hold them close. But do that knowing that I'm in control, but go on. Go on about my business while you wait for these things. We're waiting. Waiting is hard, isn't it? Anybody? Anybody with me? Waiting is hard. If you've ever had children and taken a road trip, you understand that waiting is hard because you are pounded with a question. And that question is what? Are we there yet? That's what we want to know when we read Daniel. Are we there yet? And the answer is yes. We are somewhere in the midst of Daniel. We don't know. So how do we wait? Because waiting is hard. Waiting is difficult. Some of you are waiting on Christmas. You've already, with anticipation, you've been leaving hints of, of jewelry or tools or some antique car that you want, or, right? Or, or children, they're, they're looking through those flyers that are starting to show up in the mail, right? All the circulars and all the stuff. It's like, oh, I want this and I want this. And, you know, but we're waiting. We're waiting with a sense of anticipation and waiting is hard. So even as a church, how do we wait? How do we wait for prophecy to be fulfilled? How do we wait for time to roll through and for these kingdoms to roll through as we wait for the return of Christ? What we have to understand is that biblical prophecy should not simply satisfy our curiosity. If all we do is, is look at biblical prophecy as an educational process, an intellectual exercise, but it doesn't touch our hearts, it doesn't impact our life, it doesn't affect our, our conduct, if it doesn't affect our passion and heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we've missed the purpose of the prophecy. 
It can't simply be intellectual exercise. It has to affect who we are. And so I look at it and I go, man, because waiting is hard, what do I learn from Daniel? Uh, when I look at the life of Daniel in this biblical text, what do I learn from him? How do I learn to wait like Daniel waited? How do I learn to live for Christ the way Daniel lived for Christ as I wait for the return of Christ, as I wait for these days and prophecies to be fulfilled? Do you wonder the same thing? I'm glad because I'm going to give you four things that I see. Quickly, first, here's what I want you to see that as we wait because waiting is hard. As we wait, we need to live secure in the nature and the power of God. As we wait on the Lord, we need to live with a, a security in the power and the nature of God. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27 uh, it says, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, this is speaking of Jesus' kingdom. This is the kingdom of, of Christ that, that Daniel's introduced to. His kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, shall be an everlasting kingdom. All these other kingdoms will be temporary, but his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, Jesus the Christ, it is both a name and a title, Jesus the Christ will be an everlasting kingdom in all dominions, all kingdoms, all dominions shall serve and obey him. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25, the second part of that verse, it simply says, and he shall rise up. This is speaking specifically of the kingdom of Antichrist, that he will rise up against the prince of princes, against Jesus himself, and, and, and he shall be broken, get this, but by no human hand. This is a heavenly battle. It's, it's a kingdom that, that happens in the heavenly realm. It's not something that we're going to beat physically by human hand. Why? Because it is the power and nature of God. It is his kingdom. I love Daniel chapter 9. If you've not read Daniel chapter 9, I encourage you to spend some time this afternoon or maybe multiple times this week, specifically verses 1 through 19, which is the prayer of Daniel. And as you read through that prayer of Daniel, what you will see is Daniel just reflecting on the nature and the character and the power of God. So I can tell that he's resting secure in who God is and who Christ is by the things that he says. He's, he's speaking to, to God's righteousness. He's speaking to his mercy. He's speaking to the greatness of God. He's speaking to the forgiveness of Christ. He's speaking to the mighty hand of God. And all of the references that he's using speaks to God's nature and his power of his sovereignty and his authority. Folks, we need to press into that God. We need to know him. And we need to live secure in him. I find it interesting as, as we study the book of Daniel it's in Daniel chapter 9 is the first place and the last place that we see the covenant name of God introduced in Daniel's story. The name Jehovah. Uh, if you grab your Bible and you read through your Bible, you will see the word Lord used often throughout Scripture. You'll actually see the word Lord several times in the book of Daniel. But, but here's just a Bible study Technique, understanding, when you read the Word of God, you're going to see the word Lord, and if you see it in lowercase, 
It typically refers to Lord or Adonai, as a Lord or a master. You will also see the word Lord. You'll only see it in Daniel chapter 9. You will see the word Lord in all caps. It'll be in small caps. That word specifically is the name Jehovah. It is the covenant name of God. And it's that name that Daniel is claiming in Daniel chapter 9. You don't see it anywhere else in Daniel except in Daniel chapter 9. Why? Because he's resting secure in the power and the nature and the authority and the sovereignty of God. Because it's his covenant name. So we have to live secure in the power and nature of God. We also need to live prepared for persecution. Ooh, we didn't want to hear that this morning, did we? I I truly believe that there's a a wake-up call coming to the church in America. And this church will be refined. Uh, We've made church something that God never intended for it to be. And I, I feel like too often... And I'm not, please understand my heart as a pastor, loving, compassionate. I've been guilty on both sides. But I truly believe in so many ways we've made the church much like Nebuchadnezzar that we saw in chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4, it said that he was at ease and prospering in my palace. I think in too many ways we are at ease We are comfortable in our sanctuary. We're we're comfortable on our campus. But clearly when you read Scripture, there is a time coming, folks, that we need to be prepared for persecution. And God is going to wean his church. He's going to filter it out. Uh, Jesus tells a parable in the New Testament between the wheat and the tare. You can't tell the wheat from the tare. Uh, only Christ will do that because there will come a day that, that he, will, he will separate what is real from what is not real, from what is genuine, from what is artificial. And some of that will happen in our day and age if we get to this place where the beasts begin to, to pressure the body of Christ. Are we real? Is your faith real? Are you willing to experience persecution for the cause of Christ? Look, he says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21, he says, I looked, this horn, speaking of a specific kingdom, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. This kingdom, this authority made war with the saints. That's the children of God. That's that's me. I've placed my trust in Jesus. And he says he prevailed over them. God will allow us to go through persecution for the glory of Christ. Chapter 7, verse 25, at the beginning, he says, He shall speak words. He, the Antichrist, will speak words against the Most High. Get this, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Daniel is saying, look, we have to be prepared. I have to be prepared for persecution. What happened? Lion's den? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown in the fire? They were prepared for persecution. He was living for persecution. He was prepared. Are we prepared? Are you you living and growing? Are you that passionate about your faith that you are prepared for persecution? I kind of stepped on toes the first service, and so I just feel obligated to do it again. 
as a pastor for all these many, many years, it's been amazing to watch church life. If it's rainy, if it's snowy, I just expect numbers to be down. That's a far cry from persecution. Our last church, and this is a true story, I'm telling you the honest truth. When our state college team lost on a weekend, and, and several pastors, we were watching it, we tracked it. When our state team lost, attendance was down and giving was down. At ease, comfortable. Are we living for Christ in such a way that says, God, I am ready for persecution. I am so devoted to the kingdom of God that, that I'm willing to, to experience persecution. Listen, let me encourage you this week, jump on the, your, your interweb net thing and, and go to Voice of the Martyrs. Go to Voice of the Martyrs. Currently, in, around the world, there are 70 there are 70 nations that, that are either hostile or restricted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 70 nations that are restricted or hostile to the cause of Jesus Christ. Listen, what's going to happen when all the elections don't go our way and something happens in America and all of a sudden America becomes hostile or restricted to the gospel of Jesus? Are you in? I mean, just a legitimate question. Are you still in? Uh, what happens if your, your giving all of a sudden is no longer tax deductible? Are you still in? Are you still in to give for the cause of Jesus Christ because there are lost people who live in our city who need to know the love and grace of Jesus? Are you still in? I'm telling you, we're not too far from this. We're not far. We're living in Babylon, people. It may be slow erosion, but that erosion is taking place. And we need to be ready. We need to be prepared to live for persecution. Voice of the Martyrs works with about 4 million persecuted Christians that receive help from that ministry every year. 4 million. That's just what they know about. That's just what they can do to help. Just go check it out and say, God, am I, really, am I willing Am I willing to live that passionate for you here and now? We need to live secure in the nature and power of God. We need to live prepared for persecution. But third, I want you to see that we need to live on mission with Christ. We need to live on mission. We live in a period right now referred to as the church age. It is the church age. It's, it's from the beginning of the New Testament church in the book of Acts until the time that Christ returns. We are living in this period referred to as the church age, and we have the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, we have hope, and we can receive His grace and mercy. We can be saved by placing our faith and trust in Christ. But what we also need to understand is that things are bad. Things are bad, and, and I'm, I'm sorry to be like the, the bearer of bad news. It's going to get worse. Man, we want it to get better, don't you? We, we pray for things to get better. We really do. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's what all this prophecy tells us. 
Things are bad. Sin is rampant. The kingdom of Satan is at work. And, and the ongoing effects of sin are very real, very evident all around us. Anybody else got a cold? It's the effects of sin. Disease, death, separation, brokenness in relationships, despair, pride, guilt. Those are all the effects of sin. And it's bad. And it's going to stay bad until Christ takes it all away. And so we live in, in these last days. We live under the torment and the persecution of these beasts. That's literally what we discover. These beasts are rampant. They're governments, they're authorities, they're powers that Christ has allowed to, to run for a certain season. And so we live in that. And, and it's hard, but as followers of Christ, we, we know there will come a day when Christ returns and he just sort of makes it all better. I look forward to that, don't you? I look forward to eternity future. Uh, please understand, you are living eternity right now. We are all eternal beings, and you will live eternally either in the presence of God or separated from Him. But you are created for eternity. We see it in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, this, this delivery, if you would, of, from all of sin in, in Revelation 20, as it says, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The other side of that is that those who place their trust in Christ will live eternally. There's an eternal death separated from God, and there's an eternal life in the presence of Christ. As a church, we're on mission to, to take as many people with us as we possibly can. I, I look forward to spending eternity in the presence of God, and until I get there, I want to take as many people with me as I can. What about you? That's uh, what we want to do. And so, until that time, like Daniel, we work and we serve the King not Nebuchadnezzar, not Darius. We, we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords faithfully until he comes. And so we follow the example of Jesus. Why? Because what Jesus, met, what Jesus modeled for us, he meant for us. The things that Jesus did are the things that we do. We follow his example. What did he do? Uh, one of my favorite examples of Jesus is, is grabbing the whip and flipping the tables in the temple. I want to be that Jesus. What was he doing? He was purifying his church. He was keeping it pure. He was keeping it on mission. He was keeping it on target. Why? Because I've learned there's two things that Jesus loves. He loves his church and he loves people. So we don't, we don't want to just be a church that is displeasing to God. We want to be a church that's on mission with Christ. Everything we do, we want to be part of his mission, not our own. What else did he do? He was passionate. He had a concern for lost people, didn't he? He went to the, to the outcasts, the peripherals, as Danny was talking about this morning. He was always about the outcasts. He was about those on the peripheral of society. We need to be concerned for those. That's why our mission partnerships, that's why we also partner with Raleigh Dream Center and, and Raleigh Rescue Mission and Durham Rescue Mission and, and, and our apartment ministries. We want to reach those on the fringe, those that people aren't just running to. We want to run to them as Jesus did. 
He also wept over Jerusalem, his church. He wept over the harvest that was white unto to harvest, but he, he was burdened because he said, Father, please send out laborers into the harvest that are ready. We, we want to be passionate about the things Jesus is passionate about. And while on earth, he confessed that he didn't know the time. He said, until my father comes, until that appointed time, I'm just going to do the work of the father. I'm going to be about my king's business. And so he says in Matthew 24, but concerning that day, that day that Christ will return, the day the father had appointed, he said, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. In, the, in that moment in Christ's full deity and full humanity, he surrendered in his humanity that knowledge to know what only the Father knows. Because he didn't want it to consume him. He had to be about the Father's business. And so he showed us this perfect life of waiting this perfect life of, of longing, a life of consistent dependence on the Father and, and engaging in spiritual warfare through prayer, crying out for the completion of God's plan and purpose. That's what he did in John 17. Father, I've completed the physical work you've given me to do. Now, if there's any way this cup can pass, but not my will, but yours be done. The last thing I want you to see is that we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. Daniel chapter 9, a great passage. And I really encourage you just to press into it and go after it. But uh, beginning in, in verse 2, it says, In this first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, here's what I love about Daniel's beginning of his prayer. He's looking to the Word of God. He knows that the Word of God and prayer go together. So what does he say? He says, according to the Word of the Lord. I understood, I perceived in God's Word the according to the Word of the Lord. And, and he married the idea of Scripture and prayer. And so he goes on in verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking Him by prayer, and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That's repentance. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commands and your rules. What I hear in, in Daniel's, the, just the beginning of his prayer, I just hear his, his, uh, his intercession. I hear him associating himself even with those that are not walking with the Lord. He, he's not separating himself saying, oh God, I'm really doing pretty awesome. I really pray for those that aren't. He associated with them and he said, Father, we have sinned. It's such an incredible example of, of spiritual intercession on behalf of Daniel with the people. He, he reviews biblical history when you look at his prayer. He, he confesses that the nation has been wicked, and I love this. He says, God, you have been righteous to judge us accordingly. He's not complaining. He's not arguing with God. He's saying, God, you are right and righteous to judge us as you have. As a matter of fact, God, you should have done worse. 
It was their sin that led Daniel to exile in Babylon. And for 70 years, here he has been living faithfully to the Lord, crying out to him, using that covenant name of God, great Jehovah God, the powerful. I trust your nature. I trust who you are. I seek confession. I seek repentance. I seek forgiveness, not just for me, but God, for your holy people that you have set apart. So where do we land? We land back at Jesus. As we walk in fellowship with him, as we walk in relationship with him, we simply go back and realize that kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about the name of Jesus. Amen? There's something about that sweet name of Jesus. There's many kingdoms that are going to come and they're going to go. We've got elections coming up. People come and go. Authorities come and go. Powers come and go. The one thing that is steadfast, the one thing that is sure, the one thing that is true is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It will sustain. We cling to that and we hold to that. So as we go to the Lord in prayer, I want to do so by simply inviting you to sing with me that sweet, sweet song as we just exalt the name of Jesus. Would you do that with me? Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name sing master savior master savior jesus like the fragrance after the rain jesus 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 Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim that what? Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name father in this place we just surrender ourselves to you god we live in a broken and a fallen world and you've called us to be your people you've claimed us through the name of jesus through the blood of jesus god that by grace through faith we can place our trust in you and be invited into an eternal kingdom one that will last god for all eternity as we abide in your presence as your children as your loved and adopted orphans Fathers, you invite us, and and God, we just praise the name of Jesus in this place. Father, and we surrender to you and your kingdom as we do battle. Father, as we live for persecution and we live faithful to you as we pray, God, as we trust in security of who you are in your name, your power, your authority, your nature. God, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.